pray that you have been very encouraged by the singing and also by the prayer. Allow me to just go to God in prayer as we come to God to listen to His Word. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. We pray, God, that as we listen to your Word, may you use me, your servant, to speak your Word with boldness and with clarity. We pray for all of us as we listen to your Word, that our, our hearts will be softened, that we will move to obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are coming to the end of the year. We are also coming to the end of our Romans study. So Paul has written the, the, the letter to the church in Rome, and we have spent the first half of the year doing that, and then second half taking, doing a second part of, Rome, of, of uh, Romans. And now we are in chapter 15, and then 16 next week, which is the last chapter. And so the context, Paul in chapter 13 and 14 has been exhorting the church not to allow the non-essential issues, such as eating, the observing of days, to divide the church between the weak and the, those of strong conscience. He pointed them to Jesus, welcoming both the weak and the strong, and urging the church to do likewise. They are to welcome each other for the praise and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we sung in one of the songs earlier on. So Romans 15 kind of marks the end of the letter, and Romans 15, 8 to 21, provide a glimpse into the passion and the ambition of the Apostle Paul. And Romans 15, 22 to 33, give us insight into the bread and butter of the mission work that is so important. But today, this morning, I'm just going to focus on two broad points from Romans 15, 8 to 21. And I leave the reading of Romans 15, 22 to 33 to the DG that you probably have done and to your own reading. So the two broad points that I want to bring across this morning is this, that God's hope reaches the Gentiles through the Jews, Romans chapter 15, 8 to 13, and then Paul, the faithful pastor and missionary. Romans 15, 14 to 21. So I invite you to keep your Bible open to Romans 15 and follow me through the passage there. I may not read everyone there, but I want you to follow me through the opening of the Bible in front of you. So Paul, the first point, Paul, God's hope reaches the Gentiles through the Jews, Romans 15, 8 to 13. Paul, in this passage, quoted four Bible passages from three key divisions of the Old Testament, namely the laws, the writings, and the prophets. See, continuing from his early exhortation to welcome one another and not to think that the inclusion of the Gentiles is a New Testament Jesus construct. That Jesus is not just bringing a new idea to the church, but Jesus is bringing what God has always intended it to be to the forefront. So first look at verse 8 and 9a. Slides. Jesus humbly became a servant to the Jews to fulfill God's promises and prophecies about who? About the Messiah. As argued in the earlier chapters, all promises and prophecies points to who? Points to Jesus as the one the Messiah or the Christ. 
And Paul says in these two verses, say that this fulfillment has become a light to bring the Gentiles to faith. See, if we go all the way back to the Old Testament, Israel was chosen and called for one reason. And the reason or the purpose is to be a light to the nations. We also, besides doing Romans this year, we also have done Deuteronomy. And Israel was to be said to be an envy for the surrounding nations. That when, when the surrounding nations look at Israel, they say, I want a God who is so near to us whom we can call out to. They look at Israel and they say, wow, I want to be drawn, I want to be led and governed by the excellent, perfect law so that I know how to live my life day by day. See, Israel, Israel is God's poster boy. Israel is to take on that priestly role to what? To draw the nations to worship this one true God. And so in the beginning, the nations has always, always been God's plan. And so Paul quoted four passages. The first quote in chapter 9, in verse 9, is taken from the writings in Psalms 18 to 49. And in that quotation, King David declared his intention to praise God amongst the nations. The second quote in verse 10 is taken from the law, taken from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, where Moses called the nations to rejoice in the company of God's people, Israel. And the third quotation, verse 11, is taken from the writings, from the Psalms, Psalms 117, verse 1. And the psalmist addressed the nations and beat them to come and praise who? Praise the one and only true God. And the fourth quotation, taken in, in verse 12, you follow me in the Bible to verse 12, it's taken from Isaiah 11.10. And Isaiah points the people to who? To the Messiah, who we call the root of Jesse. And how do we know? Because from the root of Jesse, God gave the covenant that David's kingdom will last forever, and from his kingdom will come the Messiah. And this Messiah will be the hope of not only the Jews, not only the Israels or Israelites, but the hope of all nations. So all this quotation from the key division are to show this generation, at least Paul's generation, that the bringing of the, of the Gentiles or the nations into the kingdom is not a New Testament Jesus plan. It has been God's salvation plan from the beginning because that's what he has called Israel to be or to do. But we know, we know from the Old Testament reading that Israel has failed to be a light to the nation. But here in Romans 15, Paul says, what Israel failed to do, Jesus obeyed. Jesus became a servant to the Jews to do what? 
First, to show that God has not abandoned them, that God has not forgotten them. And Paul spent quite a fair bit in the book of Rome, Rome Romans, the letter to Rome, to highlight that, that they are still special in God's sight. But yet at the same time, what Israel failed to do as Israel, Jesus, as a Jew, fulfilled Israel's original role to be the light to the Gentiles. And as he do that, the Gentiles can believe in God and have hope. And Paul aptly ends this section of God welcoming the Gentiles as well as the Jews with a benediction. So turn with me to verse 13. A very good memory verse. I think there's a slide for that, 13. No? Don't have, okay, sorry. I may miss that. But look at your Bible, verse 13. If you can, put this as a memory verse. The benediction called them to put aside their judgmental and despising spirit to embrace each other in Christ and to be filled not with division but with peace and joy. When their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, peace and joy will flow and overflow their hearts to others. And Paul says, with the help of the Holy Spirit, this hope will overflow to others. See, as Paul reflects their dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit to believe and to hope, to have faith and to hope by our own strength, is humanly impossible. But through Christ, through Christ, Paul is saying, is not only possible, but we've been enabled by God to believe, to have faith, to have joy, to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace, and to have hope. And furthermore, God gave us the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit as a power to make all this possible. See, just like a car, its engine is critical. Without the engine, the car will just be sitting there in situ, sitting there, and left to rust. But with an engine, you put in an engine, now the car has a power to move. And this is what it is. The Holy Spirit is the engine in your life and my life that move us to obedience, move us to faith, so that we can be filled with joy, we can be filled with peace, and we can overflow in hope. Isn't this a beautiful picture of how far God's goal God kind of go on to welcome us into his kingdom. He provides the way, he provides the mean, and he provides the power for us to obey and have faith. And the obedience and faith which will give birth to hope. But what is hope? Hope is looking with certainty into the future. From the context of the letter of Romans, 
Paul is pointing the church to look forward to the time when the fullness of the Jews and the Gentiles will come together and do what? To praise and worship God and enjoy the fullness of God's glory. And Paul provides a glimpse of this hope through none other than Abraham, the father of all hope. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 18. It says, In hope, Abraham believes against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham was given a promise, a promise of a son, a promise of his descendant, as numerous as the star in the sky, the sand in the shore. But Moses, about Abraham and his wife, are very, very old. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for them to have a child. Yet, the Bible tells us that Abraham put his hope in God and trusted in God fully to fulfill his promise. His promise to give him a son, but not so much to give him a son, but his promise that all nations will be blessed to Abraham. So you see, once again, from the beginning, right from the beginning at the point where God called Abraham, God's desire has always for the nations to be rich. God's desire has always to draw all nations to him. He chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. Late John Stott wrote these words aptly in the commentary that connects up joy, peace, faith, and hope. Let me read this. Thus joy, peace, and faith, and hope are essential Christian qualities. If faith is the means to joy and peace, overflowing hope is their consequence. And all four are due to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Isn't this encouraging? Isn't this assuring? That the power, the power of the Holy Spirit holds our faith together, fills us with hope and peace, uh, fills us with peace and joy, and gives us hope. And this hope, this peace, this joy, this faith, Paul tells us earlier in chapter 8, that no one, nothing, can take it away or snatch it from us. I went to a conference in Sydney in August with a few other fellow pastors and leaders. And the, the conference aptly called Oxygen. And John Lennox was one of the speakers. And we know that John Lennox, who spoke at our camp, I think, who was not a bit too old to travel, he, he did it via Zoom. And they interviewed him. And during the interview, he was asked about aging and death. And this is what he's he says, and his reply was so full of hope that it spoke deeply to me. And I told, I told Cheng, I turned to Cheng and looked at her and said, if I grow old and age and about to die, remind me of what John Leonard says. So he says, 
For those with no God, for those who do not know God, death, as death draws near, the vision of the future grows dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Because there is no hope. Whereas for him, he says, and you can see, you know, you can see John Leonard's, when he say this, he like, he pop up and say, for me, you know, with that joy in his face, he say, his vision grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to a point where he says, I want to be with God now. Because he has such hope, such confidence in his hope in Christ that he longs to meet his maker. He longs to really enjoy what is on the other side of earth, heaven. He longs to be in, his, in the embrace of his maker. Friends, this is what hope does to us. This is the confidence that we must have and we can have in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Death is a mystery to us. Anybody has died and come back? Except one, Jesus. But as we look forward to the future, as you look at how God through His Holy Spirit, has brought us to faith. As our hearts are filled with joy, our hearts are filled with peace, we can look forward to aging, we can look forward to death with a broadening, broadening view of what the future holds for us. Future that is not here, future that is in eternity. This is what hope is. Assuring and encouraging. The second point, taken from 15, 14 to 21, Paul, the faithful pastor and missionary. And here in this portion, Paul wants to bring this hope to the ends of the world. He wants everybody to know this hope. But of course, here in 14 to 21, he goes specifically to his calling as a pastor, to his calling as a missionary to the Gentiles. So turn with me again to your Bible. Keep your Bible open there to verses 2014 to 21. This heartwarming section gives us a glimpse into Paul's heart and Paul's passion. He's both a pastor to the church in Rome, although he has never pastored them, he has never kind of bring the gospel to them, but he still feels that he's a pastor to them, and also a passionate missionary called to reach the Gentiles for Christ. So first to the church in Rome. Even though Paul was not the founder of the church, he felt equally responsible as one of the apostles to pastor the church in laying down good gospel foundation for their faith, laying down good gospel foundation so that they can mature in the Lord, encouraging them, but also pointing them, pointing out areas in their lives 
where change is needed for their spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and more importantly, for the unity in Christ Jesus between the Jews and the Gentiles. Actually, this is not new, isn't it? Paul begins his letter, actually, in Romans 1 verse 8. You turn to that later or now. Thanking God for the faith of the church in Rome. And then he ended here in chapter 15 with his, in this letter by acknowledging their spiritual growth, their maturity, while boldly spotlighting areas where they fell short. And this is really the role of a pastor. And he, spoke, he speaks to me as Paul as I read this. Pastors encourage, pastor assure, at times rebuke, and corrects. And all this is for what? Is to spur the people to grow in their maturity, spiritual maturity, to spur the people to grow in more, to be more Christ-like. And that's what Paul is doing for the whole earlier part of, the, of, of Romans as he writes with full of passion to the church to be united as one. Secondly, it seems that he deemed it necessary to share with them this, his unique calling as a missionary to the Gentiles. We are not pervy to why he needed to share that, but I can think of two possible reasons. Follow me and let me know later if you think that it's not quite there. But I think this is where it is. One reason is it's continuing with the earlier thoughts of Israel failing to be a light to the nation. And Jesus fulfilled that. And now Paul, God called Paul as a Jew to this missionary role to continue to bring the gospel to the Gentiles so that they can believe, so that they can find hope in Christ. What Israel failed to do, God has raised up Jesus to do that. Now God has called Paul specifically to go and reach the Gentiles. That's one reason. Second reason could be continue the theme of Romans chapter 12 verse 1 of presenting our body as living sacrifice, as a reasonable act of worship, Paul could possibly want to show how it is also possible, possible for the Gentiles to present their body as a living sacrifice to God, as their reasonable act of worship. So there's three aspects of Paul's life, Paul's ministry that he shares here. The first one, Paul's ministry in his, is his priestly service. In verse 16 and 17, turn to, turn to that, 16 and 17, Paul says that God called him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And by saying that, he's emphasizing the authority and the responsibility of reaching the Gentiles, not as his own human desire, but he is, he was the vessel of God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And then Paul used this Old Testament imagery of priests and offering to describe his role. He said he's exercising a priestly service unto God. 
So do we know about the priestly service? What do you know it for the Old Testament context? The priest stands in the gap between God and his people. The priest stands in the gap to point the people to God. And that involves offering of sacrifices to God. So this is Paul's priestly service. Then he put Paul in the position to stand in between the gap of the Gentiles and God and pointing them to none other than God and God alone. He also put Paul in a position to offer sacrifice, offer sacrifices to God. But if you ask, isn't it, what is Paul offering as a sacrifice? Hasn't Paul argued earlier in his chapter, in the letter, that Christ is, was, is our ultimate sacrifice for our sins once and for all? So from that context, we know and we can say that Paul is not talking about salvation sacrifice, but he's slightly following and talking about what he, is, what he wrote about in Romans 12, 1. The context of offering our body as living sacrifice, as, our, as an acceptable act of worship. Here Paul, actually NIV kind of probably say it a bit clearer a bit, say Paul is offering the Gentiles as an offering so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So in the temple setup, Gentiles are excluded from the temple. They are not permitted to share in the offering of the sacrifices. But now, through believing in Jesus that Paul has brought to them, the gospel message, they are now become holy, they become acceptable offering to God. They are made holy and acceptable through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what Paul is meaning. When he says his role is to offer them as sacrifice to God so that they can be presented holy and acceptable through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The second aspect of Paul's ministry, that Paul's ministry is driven by the power of God. See, although Paul says in, his, in, his, in the letter there, see, he played a very pivotal role in reaching the Gentiles for Jesus, but he knew full well, he knew full well that these are not his doing. It is the work of Christ accomplished through him. I think there's a verse for that, 17, 19? Yes, okay. Maybe let's read together. One, two, three. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul brought the Gentiles to obedience through faith. Through a few things here, through the word, the first thing that Paul says is through word and deed. See, the gospel message, the good news, is often sin first before it's heard. I say this many times to my BBAGB officers as we reach out to the boys and girls. 
that as the boys and girls look at you, they see the gospel in you first before they hear you teach about them in the classes. Words explain the works, but the works dramatizes the word. And that's what it is, isn't it? As we speak, they hear, but they see. They see your lives, they see what you do, they see how you respond, then they hear the word again. And the word makes sense to them because it coincides with your action. Because you recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace. Things that we do, things that we say are not always spot on. But that's who we are. But thanks be to God that we can turn to God in prayer, can confess our sin, and ask God to help us to be more Christ-like in our dealings with our family, with our spouse, with our children, with our friends. And you know what? Our non-Christian friends sees that. I don't think they, they, they will say that we are perfect. And they will agree with us that none or nobody is perfect. But what they are seeing is what do you do with your imperfection? How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome this imperfection in your life? And we know that we don't overcome it by doing good or doing better. We can only overcome sin by surrendering our life to Jesus. And allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in transforming our hearts. And this transformation is what our friends that is the gospel. And so John Stott again wrote these words in his commentary. He said, Jesus demonstrated this when he spent time with his disciples. He taught them. He also did what he taught. The word Paul wrote about are not necessarily miraculous in nature. Jesus often sought out the needy, held the children in his arms to teach about the kingdom through the hearing and the seeing, the disciples got to grow and be prepared to continue the gospel work after Jesus' ascension. What is John Stott saying here? Jesus set an example. Or what does it mean that he, to teach, but also to do as an example, as a model for the disciple. And we look at the book of Acts, the disciple did exactly that. They taught and they did what God has taught them to do. The teaching of God's word to any congregation in any group that we come in contact with is utmost importance. I say that again and again to my BB boys, my BB officers and GB officers. That we only have so short window with our boys and girls. We must seize every opportunity to open the Bible. You must seize every opportunity to teach God's Word. And this whole truth for any place that we go to, any group that we come in contact with, we only have so short a time with those groups. We want to be 
bringing God's word to them. Many of you may not be aware that we have this very long-term partnership with a church, a village church in Phnom Penh. And since 2007, a group of us has been traveling there once, twice, to teach them how to read the Bible. And so there's a big photo of it. And these are them reading the Bible. Because we know that we cannot be with them 24-7. We know that there'll be season in life, in their life, and season in situation where we cannot be there, like COVID. Only God's Word can sustain them. Only God's Word can meet their daily spiritual needs. And only God's Word can provide them with the right compass to navigate through life seasons. And so by God's grace, we are still partnering with them. We are still sending teams to them to teach them God's Word. And so then the, the team that's coming out from 7 to 10 of December, which I'll be leading a team of four or five of us, we spend about four days with them doing the Christmas message, teaching them about evangelism and studying Ephesians together. But what encourages me is this. Many of them have grown from young men, young children, to now men and women that continue as teachers or as leaders in the church. Although the church remains small in number because they're reaching out just primarily to their village, but their love for God's word remains strong. And each time when I visit them, when I open up the Bible to them, they are so hunger and they thirst for God's word. How I know? Because when I do Bible study with them, it's time for a break. I say, you want to have a break or continue? They say, let's continue. Because that's how much they hunger for God's word. And that is our joy. And so teaching God's word remaining key. So this is another group that we go to as a key component of our mission partnership. In everywhere that we go, we always make sure that the teaching of God's word is first and foremost our primary role before we do any other aspect of the work with the people. Second thing, Paul also performed signs and wonders among the, the Gentiles. Back to the verse, I think. And these signs and wonders are not an end in itself. The signs and wonders authenticate the apostles' calling from God. And they often led to preaching and the teaching of God's word. That is the end. And Paul did not work alone. He worked with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does the important work of convicting, confirming, and convincing the heart of individual to put their faith in God through His Word. And that's how Paul, together, bring His Word, bring the Gentiles to faith. The third aspect is Paul's ministry is driven by his ambition to share the gospel. Paul's ambition is for the gospel to reach everyone. He wanted to go as many, to as many places as possible to proclaim the good news. And especially to parts of the world where no one has gone before. Paul believes, and we must believe as well, that we have a life-changing good news to share. A good news of hope. A good news that can turn people away from darkness into the light. A good news that set us 
free. So the question I ask myself and I ask you is what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for to share this good news with others? Paul making his ambition to share. Is that our ambition as well? That we live and breathe the desire to share the gospel because it is good news of hope, because it turns us away from darkness into light, because it sets us free. So let me address two groups of people in our midst. The first group are those who are enjoying your work now and it's feeling that they are at the, you are at the prime of your career. Or, same group, eh? looking at early retirement. I've done my best in my workplace. I'm wondering what can I do with life now. Well, this is my pastoral push. A friend of mine was on the bus to work one day. She sat on the bus looking out and looking at the people that comes that, 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 that kind of the bus pass through. And she was led to ask, do I see myself doing this job for the next five or ten years? And she's really at the prime of her job, yeah? She's not, she's not like, you know, jaded about her job. She, she enjoys, she loves her work. And she was asked, do I see myself doing this five, ten, fifteen years? And she sat there and she said, no. The answer is no. But then she asked herself, if, if it's not this, then what? And the Lord led her to see the many out there not just physically, visually, but she's been quite involved in missions to see the world out there that many are lost without God. Their vision of the future, their vision of what, what lies after death grows dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as they age. And so the Lord led her to consider full-time ministry work. And she is still in full-time ministry work today. At first as a missionary, then now back in a, in a home church. My brother and sisters in Christ, can I just encourage you to just pray this prayer? Have the bonus and the courage to pray. God, is full-time ministry work for me. I'm not asking you to, to say, oh, I must go out and do that, all the things. But as you sit there, as you do your quiet time, just quietly pray, God, I'm enjoying my work, I'm enjoying my retirement, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I pray it's full-time ministry work for me. God will answer you. The answer could be no. No, I want you to be in the in, in, in workforce, but the answer could be yes. And all I'm asking you is to pray that prayer. The needs out there are tremendous both locally and overseas. The harvest is full, but the workers are few. The second group that I want to address is all of us. We just finished a series of preparing us to share the gospel through two ways to live. Now that we are equipped, nobody can tell me that you are not. If you are not, we can go through two ways to live with you again. You can come and see me. I can do a session with you. No problem. Now that we are equipped, we cannot say, I do not know how to share the gospel. But the reality is not many of us are actively sharing. This is not meant to be a guilt trip, but an, encourage, an encouragement to you 
to share, to have the same passion and ambition of Paul, to share this life-changing gospel with people who are in need. Because it's a gospel of hope, a gospel that sets us free. One of my DG mates shared on Friday, our DG, it's always good to have DG on Friday and you preach on Sunday. You get a lot of snippets of illustration. She met up with a friend recently, and this friend shared that she and her husband were separated from their young daughter for about three years because the child was with the parents, grandparents in another country while they were in another, and then COVID hit and the border closed. And that's it. They were cut off from their daughter for three years, young daughter. But in God's amazing provision, this daughter grew up watching her grandparents who were missionaries. She watched them share the gospel day in, day out with others. And the child grew up thinking that sharing the gospel about Jesus is my job. It's what I do day to day. Because that's what my grandparents do day to day. My DG mate's friend and the child was reunited last year when borders opened. But the child continued to be the active evangelist, willingly taking part in street evangelism. Sharing about Jesus has become a part of her life. It's hard for parents and child to be separated. Well, those are our parents we know. Three years is a long time. But the mother shared that it was worthwhile. A worthwhile sacrifice for God's kingdom. Because every soul, every soul needs to know Jesus. And there are many out there who have not. Reaching to as many as for Jesus has always been Paul's heartbeat. And he will not stop until they are rich. It must be our heartbeat too. We cannot stop until we see God face to face or until he returns. Let's close it. Let me close with a story that, was, that, was, that has spurred me and continue to spur me to keep teaching and proclaiming Jesus. A friend of mine, a great wise brother, not much older than me, he was diagnosed with leukemia six months after he was married. And he and his wife were supposed to join me in Bible college, but they did not make it. You know, when he was in his last days, he continued to do Bible studies with different groups of people at his home. He would get them to come, do Bible study, one group, and then the group, and then he'd come like a you know, factory at that, you know. He just keep doing Bible study to the point where he's so weak that he can't sit up. I remember visiting him not too long before he passed on. And at a point in time, he was already quite weak. But he continued to minister to me as the wise brother. He ministered to me through that steadfast trust in God. His vision of the future has broadened. Not dim, but broadened. But yet he is still sharing God's wisdom to me. He was still very concerned that his parents would come to faith because they truly believe and put their trust in Jesus. I pray and trust that these two stories will spur you, spur you to make your ambition to make Jesus known wherever we are. In whatever ways that God has enabled us to. Let us not stop until our Lord Jesus comes or when we see him.
face to face. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that as we commit ourselves to you, that indeed, Lord, our life is not mine to live, but yours. That my life is not mine to own, but yours. So, Lord, I pray that may you speak to each one of us in our hearts, whether it be full-time Christian ministry, or be it the ambition to, to want to share the gospel with everybody that have not known you. God, I pray, you enable us, you empower us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.